It's 8 p.m. Stay with us. Outbeat Radio is next. Welcome to Outbeat Radio, 5th Sunday. I'm Gary Carnavelli here in the KRCB studios with my co-host, Greg Moralia. Tonight we'll have a conversation with local church leaders about the sometimes complicated relationship between religion and LGBTQI individuals. We have joining us tonight, Reverend Christopher Bell from Unitarian Universalist Congregation in Santa Rosa and Rabbi Erwin Keller from Congregation Nair Shalom in Katadi. First, here's Greg with Outbeat Radio News and Calendar. I have found Outbeat Radio News, your source for LGBT news from the North Bay and beyond. Good evening, this is Greg Moralia with your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, May 31st, 2015. Hot on the heels of Ireland's historic vote, Greenland has become the latest country in the world to legalize marriage equality. An autonomous country within the Kingdom of Denmark, Greenland's parliament voted 27 to 0 in favor of extending marriage and adoption rights to LGBT couples. In 1989, Denmark became the first nation in the world to recognize same-sex unions in the form of registered partnerships. Greenland has adopted the Danish civil union law in 1996, but didn't follow suit when Denmark legalized same-sex marriage in 2012. Same-sex marriages in Greenland are set to begin in October. And here in the U.S., Michael Sam says his top priority is helping the Montreal Alouettes win, not making history as the first openly gay player in the Canadian Football League. Sam signed a two-year deal with the Alouettes last week. He said, quote, I'm not trying really to do anything historic here by being with Montreal. I'm just trying to help the team win some games so we can bring the Grey Cup back home. The 25-year-old Sam came out publicly before last year's NFL draft. He was selected in the seventh round by the St. Louis Rams to become the first openly gay player chosen by an NFL team. The Rams cut him in training camp. Then the Dallas Cowboys signed him to their practice squad but released him in October. Sam starred at Missouri in college, earning the SEC Defensive Player of the Year honors in 2013. A failed Brooklyn Tea Party candidate with a history of fighting against LGBT rights and who once campaigned with the slogan, quote, Our children are our future, was arrested this last Thursday for possessing and sharing child pornography. Police raided the Brooklyn home of Joseph Hayen, 37, and confiscated two laptops, five desktop computers, a video camera, cell phone, and one DVD. After his arrest on Thursday, Hayen admitted to police that he traded photos of children between the ages of 2 and 12 as recently as December of 2014 on the Internet. According to the Post, he was released on $50,000 bail and has been barred from seeing his four children ages 9, 7, 4, and 15 months. And in Colorado, a charter school refused to let a class valedictorian deliver a graduation speech in which he planned to come out as gay. Evan Young, 18 years old, said he agreed to make some suggested changes to the speech he planned to deliver on May 16th at the commencement ceremony for Twin Peaks Charter Academy High School in Longmont, but he refused to remove the disclosure about his sexuality. 
Young said, quote, my main theme is that you're supposed to be respectful of people, even if you don't agree with them. I figured my gayness would make a very good way to address that. He and his father, Don Young, said they weren't notified until just a few minutes before the ceremony that Evan Young wouldn't be allowed to speak or be recognized as the valedictorian. Evan Young said he previously emailed a speech with other suggested changes to school officials, but they contend that he didn't submit a revised version. In a statement, the district said the first draft also included ridiculing comments about faculty and students and was condescending toward the school. School attorney Barry Arrington said in a statement that a graduation speech is not a time for students to push personal agendas on a captive audience. And here locally, Sonoma County Pride will hold its Pride Weekend June 5th through the 7th at the Russian River. The nonprofit incorporated last year, and Sonoma County Pride President Chuck Ramsey said that the new energy, enthusiasm, teamwork, excitement, and results are already evident. This year's theme is Equality Everywhere and is a nod to the hopefulness Many people feel as the U.S. Supreme Court is poised to decide whether to legalize same-sex marriage nationwide. The Grand Marshals for the parade are Barefoot Winery Ambassador Randy Arnold and Rainbow Cattle Company co-owner Bobby Frederick. Pride festivities begin this coming Friday, June 5th, with the first Friday art walk in Guerneville, followed by a country-western dance. On Saturday, June 6th, there will be a kayaking event that ends at the Rio Nido Movie Theater for an afternoon of games, barbecue, music, and LGBT short films. There will also be a disco party that night in Guerneville. The parade then takes place on Sunday, June 7th, starting at 11 a.m. on Main Street. Afterwards, the Pride Festival takes place at the Guerneville Lodge from noon to 6 p.m. Festival entertainment includes the San Francisco Lesbian Gay Freedom Band, Pop Dance Band Rumors, members of the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus, the last comic standing star Nikki Carr, and local singer-songwriter Bobby Joe Valentine. And of course, your Outbeat Radio team will be there at this year's festivities to bring you coverage all day long. Be sure to stop by our booth and join us for our Live at Pride radio show. You can learn more about all of the events happening on Pride Weekend at www.sonomacountypride.org. For more information about LGBT events happening here in the North Bay, go to GaySonoma.com. And for all the latest LGBT news headlines and your 2015 Pride celebration information, go to our website at OutbeatNews.com. Be sure to follow us all week long on Facebook and Twitter for updates from Outbeat Radio News. For Gary Carnavelli, I'm Greg Moralia. Now back to Outbeat Extra. Outbeat Radio News, your source for LGBT news from the North Bay and beyond. This is Outbeat Radio 5th Sunday. I'm Gary Carnavelli here with Greg Moralia. I'll ask each of our guests to introduce themselves, tell us which church or congregation they represent, and how long they've been involved with that particular church. Well, hey there, Gary. <laughs> Good to see you. Hi, Rabbi Irwin. This is uh, Irwin Keller. Uh, I serve as rabbi of Congregation Ner Shalom um, and get referred to there as Reb Irwin. You can call me Irwin if you'd like. Um, and I've been uh, in this position, I guess I'm in my eighth year now, um, something like that. And, um, and this career, this uh, rabbinical career is uh, a new thing for me. We could talk about that later. Uh, and I'm Chris Bell. I'm the minister of the Unitarian Universalist Congregation Santa Rosa there in the Glazer Center uh, downtown. Um, I've also been there eight years, um, and it's my first and only congregation so far. Great great to be here. Thanks. Thanks for coming out. 
I personally was raised uh, Vatican II Roman Catholic, but after First Communion and Confirmation dropped off, and now would consider myself a lapsed Catholic. You can imagine there are a lot of them out there. Um, I would imagine your calling um, is more of a profound nature. Describe your early spiritual experience and your eventual calling to the ministry. Oh, we're going to keep going in this order. Yes, we are. Okay. Great. I'm glad I picked the seat I did. Chris, you do the cleanup, okay? We're doing Hebrew style, right to left. Um, So um, um, I've always been very connected um, Jewishly. Um, You know, a lot of people run away from their religious upbringings, and I I think that happens a lot among Jews especially. um, The Jewish community has searched really hard in the 20th century to try to find a way to remain relevant to people's spiritual needs. For me, I was a nerdy kid. I loved religion. I loved Hebrew. I loved history. I loved everything about it. I loved ritual. Um, And I think that's probably not uncommon for the gay boys um, (laughs) to love ritual. And uh, was always very connected through my family, through synagogue. Um, I went on to um, study at Hebrew University. And um, when I finished my undergraduate, um, I had intended, I had always intended to go to rabbinical school. And at that, and, uh, in 1981 or so, I started coming out of the closet. And I had a, I had a partner at the time and um, was really taking a lot of what at, in that era were very difficult steps to be honest, to be open. Mm-hmm. And at the time, there were no Jewish seminaries in the United States or, well, anywhere that would ordain openly gay, um, openly gay students, openly gay people. Um, it came a couple years later, but at that moment, there weren't. And I remember I called Alan Bennett on the phone. He was the rabbi at Shar Zahav in San Francisco. He was the one openly gay rabbi in the country, and he had the one openly gay rabbi job. <laughs> and he advised me that, you know, I would have to go back in the closet um, to mm. go to rabbinical school. And, uh, and I understood that, that was the, the way of the world. But it was a moment when I was, I was really taking so many risks in order to live in integrity that the idea of having sort of a, this kind of a calling and to have to lie in order to carry it out felt so deeply wrong to me. Mm. And, and, and I, had to, I had no choice but to listen to that instinct. So I put it off, and I had a different kind of life, and then ended up doing this really kind of by happenstance, um, but have really loved having the opportunity now, Mm. at this point in my life, many Mm. decades later, to be deepening into my Jewish practice Mm. and Jewish leadership. Right, right. So it's sort of a second career. Or third. Third, right. (laughs) (laughs) What might those other careers be? Are you asking me? Yeah, true. Oh, sorry. Okay. So, uh, well, I, you know, I became an activist. Um, and right after this decision not to go to rabbinical school is when the AIDS crisis hit. And I started doing activism of all sorts. And at some point I thought, uh, I'm going to law school because I want to have, I want to have some credentials. I want to be able to do this and make change. Mm. And so I went to law school and I did legal advocacy, both uh, uh, gay rights advocacy in Chicago. And then out here, um, I did HIV advocacy and ran an HIV legal services organization in San Francisco for a number of years. But law was not really – law did not sit well with me. <laughs> and uh, meanwhile, uh, with some friends, I had started a Dragapella beauty shop quartet called the Kinsey Six and some listeners – 
well, one of them might know of the Kinsey Six, <laughs> and uh, and spent 21 years performing with the Kinsey Six. Uh, and uh, and when I moved up to Sonoma County uh, eight years ago, nine years ago, is when I became involved at Nair Shalom, and ended up mm. uh, ended up doing this work. Nice, nice, Reverend Chris. Um, well, uh, I grew up in the United Church of Christ Congregational Church that was in Lakewood, Ohio, and actually had a very positive overall impression of the experience. Uh, although, as maybe typical of a teenager, kind of had a period of moving away from that, and ultimately came to question, you know, some of the doctrines of the of that church, and and thus found myself uh, in, a, in a different path. We uh, uh, ended up after a kind of bumpy, failed college career, at least initially, uh, going back. And I was a religious studies major almost uh, almost before I knew it um, because I'd given myself permission to just take whatever classes I wanted to take. Mm. So I was deeply into um, thinking about those matters. When, again, almost just by happenstance, um, discovered Unitarian Universalism. Um, my wife and I had a daughter, and she was going to a parochial school, and they required you to have the kids go to services on Sunday, though they couldn't insist that you go there. Hmm. Um, and I knew we didn't want to go there. It was actually kind of a conservative church. Um, happened to remember uh, my German teacher from high school saying, oh, I think you would like the UUs. Uh, it's very progressive, and they have great music, uh, which at this particular church in Rocky River, Ohio, turned out to be true. Hmm. Uh, so we went, and uh, the first day of just sitting there and reading the principles, our ethical principles, and where those come from, I mean, I was an instant convert. Mm. Uh, and actually, whatever this says about me, had you know my first thought of ministry that very day, because um, I didn't know, what, what do you do as a religious studies major? Uh, bartend compassionately was kind of what I was <laughs> steering for. And uh, but I will hope for more, I guess. And uh, and there it was. Uh, but that took many years to uh, gestate. Hmm. Uh, so we moved to Colorado. My wife got a, a PhD, had another baby, and uh, I mostly worked in the restaurant business and ended up selling wine uh, for a, a distributor there in Boulder, Colorado. And that was great because it laid out another choice. Um, uh, but that old kind of bubbling call, and we'd, we'd gone to church. I it did a lot of uh, exploration in Buddhism during that time. Zen, in particular, is kind of the other wing of my uh, spiritual life. Hmm. And then the point came where it was like, okay, something has to come of this impulse. Uh, I didn't know what to do with it exactly, but I figured divinity school would have the answer. And Harvard is uh, one of the traditional training grounds for once Unitarian, now Unitarian Universalist ministers. I knew it would serve me in any way um, uh, that I decided to go. So off we went and uh, very quickly became apparent that uh, ministry, parish ministry was what I wanted to do, mm. called to do. Uh, so that unfolded over a period of time and uh, here I am. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm. So not quite as dramatic. Uh, sometimes I think this is actually my first career, mm. not my second <laughs> career, uh, but I'm glad I found my way to it. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Nice. So you, you sort of talked about uh, a little bit about how you've maneuvered through time and how doctrines have changed a little bit. But it seems like religious organizations are evolving more quickly today than ever. Uh, why the—I'm going to call it a sudden change, but, but, but why the change? Why do you think that some religions are evolving and others are digging their heels in? 
that's a big question. You know, um, I have ideas about this on the on the Jewish front, and I can't I can't answer as to any other faith. But there are a few things that are that are going on. First of all, um, you know, we're all influenced by the culture, by the changing culture, and what's happened in America over the past twenty five, thirty years is shocking in its rapidity. Um, and you know, I am aware of the tremendous price of that. But um, it is remarkable um, watching the change in the, in the culture. So, you know, in the progressive branches of Judaism, really in all branches of Judaism, values that have been drawn from the culture have always played a role in how Judaism has changed over the, over the millennia. Um, and I think something really big happened once uh, equality for women was achieved in Judaism. You know, this was the first bat mitzvah was, what, 75-some-odd years, 75 years ago or so in the Reconstruction, in what would be the Reconstructionist movement. It was Mordechai Kaplan who founded the Reconstructionist movement of which Ner Shalom is affiliate, with which Ner Shalom is affiliated, um, the bat mitzvah of his, of his daughter, and that was the first time uh, in modern history that a, a girl was invited up onto the mm. bima, onto the pulpit, yeah. to read whatever she did, some small amount of Torah. Um, but it was unheard of. But it was clearly a time, an idea whose time had come. And once it happened, it, you know, he was nearly excommunicated for it. And at the same time, there was no going back. Once that happened, mm. there was it, no going back, which also meant that it was only a matter of time until mm. women were rabbis. And once you have women as rabbis, then it, then there's no going back. There are going to be queer people as rabbis. And if you look at the progressive rabbinical schools now, they're full of they're full of trannies um, studying to be rabbis, and it's thrilling. I mean, the the growing edge of Judaism in this respect is is thrilling to see. Uh, but even in the Orthodox. Even in the Orthodox community, things are changing quickly. There was a, a film uh, maybe 14 years ago that came out called Trembling Before God. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Excellent mm-hmm. film. Uh, right. Sandy Dubosky's film. And it about, um, about gays and lesbians in the Orthodox communities. And it set off a furor. And this film ended up creating conversations all across the country um, Sandy had a career, a, you know, a many years long career just leading panel discussions around the country. And all of a sudden, Orthodox people had to talk about their gay children. Mm. And gay Orthodox people started coming out. And it still isn't sitting well, um, but it is, it is changing. I mean, obviously, it's, you know, it's clear that in those movements, in those denominations, there is change down the road, and they'll have to figure out how to justify it using halakha, how to justify it using um, interpretation of Torah, but they will find a way to do it because their kids are going to make it happen. Hmm. Um, I'm proud because I came to a tradition that had in many ways already resolved this before right. I even discovered right. it, um, mm-hmm. which is you know, n- nice and also uh, sort of has – secluded me from some of the struggles that you can see in uh, you know traditions that for whatever reasons are having a harder time with that um the the weight of tradition carrying more um we we've been uh, you know ours is a story of kind of constant self radicalization and sometimes self destruction and uh so 
that that creates very you know a lot of open mindedness and so forth. Uh, they were passing resolutions in favor of uh, equal rights for LGBT people years and years ago. Uh, first openly. Uh, gay men called to congregations was 1979 uh, for us. Mm-hmm. Um, first UU minister that came out as gay was before that. Um, and uh, Stonewall was definitely, you know, a, an influence on people. Mm-hmm. Um, but even within our tradition that, you know, so clear that um, all people have inherent worth and dignity. That's one of the core principles um, coming out of the universalist side of the thing. God loves everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, that... Um, it still was, you know, it was by no means easy. Uh, and the, the first guy that came out um, never ended up serving another congregation again because of the stress he had to endure in taking that stand. Um, but the second wave, um, one, you know, one of them, Mark Bellatini, who was in San Francisco initially and then elsewhere in the Bay Area, he's, you know, one of our bright shining lights. He still serves the congregation in Columbus. Um, so, you know, uh, that was certainly one of the reasons I was drawn to it in the first place was that it was, you know, had already taken care of that. Um, but it, maybe it's made life a little easier uh, for us. And then, of course, it's easy to think that uh, once you make a resolution, uh, <laughs> you've accomplished something and how to actually make sure that congregations are open-minded enough and understanding of the differences that people have had as they've grown up, you know, within a a hitherto, not just marginalized, but like not even able to talk about it, as you were just saying, Um, you know, that takes change on everybody's part. Um, But I think we've come a long way. Um, And we too have now, you know, uh, ordained trans people and just been really clear about that. Um, So I'm grateful for that. Mm -hmm. And what, I mean, uh, it's, I know it's difficult to speak about for other religions or about other right. religions, um, but w- how long do you think they will come around? The Roman Catholic Church, you know, yeah, Southern Baptist. History has an enormous <laughs> amount of momentum, you know. I mean, I, as a Buddhist, I think of it in terms of karma. And uh, hmm. you know, sometimes there's just nothing to do but wait out um, right. karmic energy that – and and wait for a new generation of people that gets educated in a different way. I mean, not just these conversations happening internally, but you look at popular culture in particular, Mm -hmm. look at polls on how young people address equality issues. And, you know, a few TV shows and a few famous people and a a school system where the teacher can finally say I'm a lesbian or whatever, and and the kids just... Absorb it. This is right. normal now. Right. Uh, I think with that happening, the uh, the more conservative or harder to change religions, they're going to have quite a go of it uh, yeah. over the next couple of decades. Well, just what happened in Ireland this week, uh, 62%, <laughs> right, yeah. in, a, yeah. in a predominantly it's Catholic huge. country. Right. That was huge. It's and huge. I think a Vatican official said that this was a defeat for humanity. Right. You know? Right. But it wasn't the Pope saying that. That's the one of the interesting things to me is just the, this this particular Pope, mm-hmm. who might not be the one that makes these changes, but is is definitely creating some language in which it can happen in the future, mm-hmm. which the next Pope or two Popes down from now um, can actually make some significant change in the Church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I always tell this story of when, when I was living in Dallas, the uh, late eighties. I met a friend, and he said, "Well, you're Roman Catholic, aren't you?" Well, why don't you come to church? Come to my church. And I'm like, "Ugh, no, please, please." You know, the height of the AIDS crisis. You know, horrible things going on. He really had nothing, <laughs> wanted nothing to do with the Roman Catholic Church. No, no, no. This is different. Different. Go to the church. 
literally sort of half and half Mexican-American LGBT folks. <laughs> and the priest said, your partner and completely gay inclusive language. And I was like, what is this? You know, at the time warp, it, you know, how is he getting away with this? Why aren't they coming down on him? You know, it was a fairly established church and a pretty big city. And um, it, it was just such a shock to me. I'd never really seen that anywhere else. Did it last? Uh, yes. Because, okay. yes. you know, unfortunately, too often you hear stories of, you know, clergy right. of one kind or another will right, right. advance and the cause and often get their, uh, you know, get their wings yeah. clipped at that point. Right, right. Have you experienced that? Have you? Getting getting wings clipped? Yes. <laughs> Personal <laughs> experience. Uh, not at, not, certainly not at Ner Shalom of mm. Katadi, California, uh, which is a very progressive community and a very inclusive community and has a very... Uh, large queer population within it, mm-hmm. so so no, I don't think so. But uh, but it is interesting where <laughs> they might have asked you to wear a less revealing dress on occasion, you know, uh, depending like, on the Erwin, like, yeah, your shoulders. Yeah. Uh, but it is interesting to see the way in which um, leadership, right at the ground level. Um, can make a huge difference, you know. And you see that, you know. I think about, you know, Glide in San Francisco, mm. uh, which, um, you know, is Episcopalian, right? Methodist. Oh, they're Methodist, right? They're Methodist. And you know, the 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 um, sort of the the wild, the radical inclusive in- inclusivity right. of that place is so inspiring. Uh, for decades, going for back decades. to the seventies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a key for me is like with when we're talking about uh, when will this tradition, whatever tradition we're talking mm. about, when will it change? Whichever one you name, it already is. And it's just sort of where do you go mm. and, and what are you finding? And right. if you if right. you look to the progressive side, you'll find hope in most traditions of people who are trying to advance this. And, mm. of course, you'll find stuff that would, you know, depress you or disappoint you. Right. Um, but I would choose to look at the former. Uh, you know, it's. It, I, I think about the ways in which people, you know, the choices people make in order to in order to to have the the lives that they want, and uh, you know that often, you know, queer people have had to make a choice of really leaving the church of their of their childhood and going someplace else. It's very different where strides have already been made. Or they have to make the difficult choice to to stick it out and, mm-hmm. and do the fight and do the struggle to mm-hmm. to change things step by step over the course of their lives and and uh, and I really I admire people who have that fortitude. Right, we're going to stay and fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, without them, you know, then it'll never happen. Exactly. Yeah, but uh, one doesn't necessarily always want one's religious home to be you know a place ground. of battle. Uh, right. 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 Uh, but it is. It can be. Great. Let me take a music break. Why don't we? We're talking about church and we're talking about religion and religion in the LGBT community. And I can't think of a more appropriate song than "Take Me to Church." And this one is sung by Morgan James. Enjoy. My lover's got humor. He's the giggle at a funeral. Knows everybody's disapproval. I should have worshipped him sooner If the heavens ever did speak He's the last pure mouthpiece Every Sunday's getting more bleak A new poison every week 
We were born sick, I heard them say. My church offers no absolutes, he says. Worship in the bedroom. The only heaven I'll be sent to is when I'm alone with you. I was born sick, but I love it. Command me to be well. Amen. Dog at the shrine of your lies. I'll tell you my sins, and you can sharpen your knife. Offer me that doubtless death. Good God, let me give you my life. Take me to church. I'll worship like a dog at the shrine of your lies. I'll tell you my sins, and you can sharpen your knife. Offer me. Welcome back to Outbeat Radio, Fifth Sunday. I'm Gary Carnavelli here with Greg Moralia discussing religion with some local spiritual leaders. That was great music, by the way. 
wasn't it? Yeah, we were rocking out here in the studio. <laughs> yeah, Morgan James. She's got an amazing voice, and that was her cover of Hoosier's Take Me to Church. Nice. And the nice story about Hoosier I was telling you earlier. Yeah, um, tell, it, tell it. He flew back, put his uh, tour on hold to fly back to vote um, in Ireland. Oh, we love that. We love that. Really cool. uh, That's to a vote, great yes. story. Yes, of course. Okay, right. But of course. <laughs> <laughs> the only vote. <laughs> We're here with Christopher Bell, Reverend Christopher Bell from Unitarian Universalist Congregation in Santa Rosa and Rabbi Erwin Keller from Congregation Nair Shalom in Katadi. So um, I'll have you each talk a bit about your congregation. Uh, what do they seek? Uh, what do they feel your church or congregation offers them? And um, what percentage would you say identify as LGBT? Oh, we're still you're, going in yes, the same order. Oh, you're sitting right next okay. to me. Yeah. So he, he reads the question, then he turns and <laughs> looks at me with that look, with those eyes drilling. Um, oh, sorry. Sorry, Chris. Chris Chris, and I are getting a little kneesy <laughs> under, under the table. Um, the, uh, well, first of all, just just uh, for the sake of full disclosure, I'm uh, I'm called Reb Irwin Keller because mm. I'm not ordained. I'm, oh. I don't have a I don't have a an official ordination. Uh, I was brought into this position by Congregation Ner Shalom, and it's been a happy road so far. We're a growing congregation. We're, we've been around for decades, and we're growing. We've uh, our our membership has increased has about doubled in the past five years, and it's a it's a wonderful place. It's very grassroots. Um, very diverse um, and um, very very progressive. I think one of the things that marks, uh, if there were a typical Nair Shalom member, it would probably be somebody who um, kind of left their Judaism behind them at some point in their life mm. and came back to it later in their life after doing other kinds of spiritual seeking. So we have lots of people that come in with sort of more um, literacy in Sufism or Buddhism than in Judaism, and we're reaching a point in in the Jewish world where where sort of contemplative tools, spiritual, you know, mystical tools are available to people with a Jewish vocabulary, and so people are now getting drawn to come back and see, you know, of the place I came from. Is there something to offer to the adult me for my adult spirituality, um, for the kind of seeking that I, I didn't find an answer for when I was a kid? Because um, we went through some hard times, I have to say, in the <laughs> 60s, 50s, 70s. Um, and uh, we, uh, and we, we, find our way to, we find our way together. We, uh, we are a congregation that uh, is... Um, is uh, in some ways interfaith. We have lots of interfaith families. Uh, we're somewhat interracial. We are, uh, I would say, maybe a third of the congregation is LGBT. And, um, and every, the, the congregation in its entirety is a congregation of people who were okay with having the singing drag queen rabbi. <laughs> and that's, and that's meaningful. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I, I say that because it gets a laugh, but at the same time, it's hugely meaningful. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and so it's, it's a group of people that's willing to question their beliefs. They're willing to question our tradition. They're willing to turn Torah upside down and inside out to, mm-hmm. to break it open and find new meaning um, and to find meaning that is life-supporting, life-enhancing, that gives hope, that includes that um, gives a message of love. 
I've, it has been commented, Chris, more than once um, by visitors that we are sort of the Unitarians of the Sonoma <laughs> County Jewish community. <laughs> High praise indeed. Thank you. Yeah. So it makes me it makes me want to ask, are you the Reconstructionist? So. <laughs> I, I suppose that would go both ways, actually, um, in terms of uh, our emergence from uh, the Christian tradition uh, and uh, kind of a self-conscious decision to be bigger than that uh sort of from the time of the merger we come together from the unitarians and the universalists who uh, both came out of american christianity and europe before that and uh around the time that they got together in 61 and certainly over the next uh, couple of decades a a very conscious sense of uh, trying to create religious community that's not um, bound even by uh, you know a particular identity with uh, with that tradition any mm. longer. Um, we are also made up of seekers. Um, many a person who uh, had experience with religion and maybe got burned one way or another, or um, did a kind of natural growth or of uh, critiquing that in some way. Um, very often, you know, who found the the doctrine of that tradition restrictive in some way uh, or couldn't handle the way it was treating gay people or whatever it might have been. Um, and so uh, that makes up a large portion of the constituency. And the freedom that we enjoy um, to seek inspiration from multiple sources is also inviting. Um, you know, so you can could be a Sufi and be a member of a Unitarian Universalist congregation or still hold tight to your Jewish roots and, and be a member um, because there wouldn't be anything that would uh, restrict that. Hmm. Our uh, basic mode is to advocate for an ethical form of living um, first and foremost, right? So if so, we our, our main purpose as a movement even is to advance values like the inherent worth and dignity of every person, justice, equity, and compassion in human relations, and uh, you know the freedom to search for the truth as we see fit, um, a peaceful world, um, and a real spiritual heart is um, uh, respect or reverence for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. And uh, it turns out, you know, that is a scientific notion as well as a spiritual notion. So Unitarian Universalism has often attracted um, educators and scientists and um, that sort who want maybe a less mythical, less supernatural and more naturalistic understanding Mm. of God, of nature, uh, however we might be naming it. Um, It's a great congregation, uh, beautiful fit. I love my people. Um, We have a lot of fun. Um, What's your website? (laughs) (laughs) UUSantaRosa.org. Check it out, please. New website. (laughs) Um, And uh, yes, all are welcome. They moved uh, from a small, uh, almost rural location at Stony Point and Todd Road 10 years ago to our new home, which is in that uh, former UA5 movie theater, now called the Glazer Center. And it really, I won't say it transformed, it affirmed uh, uh, a new and growing spirit in the congregation um, manifested almost immediately by um, beginning to serve a breakfast for hungry people on Saturday mornings. Um, that, I mean, that started with one of the elders of the church 
they'd all moved downtown to be a more active and engaged congregation. But in typical congregational fashion, you know, somewhere at the like ninth month of talking about what that was going to look like, <laughs> uh, one of our heroes just said, you know what, I'm going down on Saturday morning. I'm brewing some coffee and putting out some donuts and, and putting a sign in the window. And one fella came by that first day and our guy, John Dumbrill, uh, said, well, uh, let everybody know I'll be here next week. And it really was like six weeks later that it almost got to the, its current size. And wow. it's become, a, you know, we serve 150, 200 people, mm, um, wow. sometimes more every Saturday morning. Mm, and great. just that sense of let's be active. Let's, it's not all in the head. It's not just for us. Um, you know, that our, our primary pers- purpose is to help mm. people as, well, as we're helping ourselves. Um, that, that's been a, a real core, I think, of the place. And uh, so it's grown uh, ever since then. There were about 250 people when I got there. We have about 350 or more now. Mm. And, um, you know, in addition to feeling like we were doing good work and, and being uh, an influence on the community with community organizing and that sort of thing, to me the key of it all is we, we have fun. Mm. Um, I, it's, a, it's a core value for me. Um, and not like silly hee hee fun, but like the satisfaction of good work mm-hmm. is fun, um, even if it's really real or even there's something kind of dangerous at stake or whatnot. It should be energizing in that way. Um, like, let's not do it if it's a drag. <laughs> um, and so it, it isn't there. That's my, one of my favorite things about it. And I think that's one of the real values that religious organizations bring to a community is that it's it's more than, you know, the, the doctrine or the or the belief system. There's a lot of service that goes on. Talk more about that. Now, what what activities are your congregations involved in that are sort of on the non-spiritual community service end of things? I'll go first. Thank you. All right. <laughs> well, as I said, the breakfast. Yeah. Um, and we have a, a kind of social justice committee called the Advocates for Social Justice. And they're engaged in partnerships with a bunch of other um, you know, uh, organizations around town. We do forums once a month called Hot Topics on social issues that are open to the public. I think our um, most important work in that arena right now is um, we're a member of the North Bay Organizing Project, uh, which is a community organizing network connected with Gamaliel and um, in partnership with a number of other congregations, as well as a bunch of um, issues, organizations like the Living Wage Campaign and others. You know, we muster power in terms of numbers of people uh, in order to have an impact on policies. And we've, you know, made a difference with uh, uh, the rules around um, impounding of vehicles, uh, particularly for undocumented people, mm-hmm. which turns out to be crazy expensive and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the group was and community organizing was behind um, uh, making that more compassionate. Uh, probably the biggest victory most recently was um, getting the Santa Rosa school system to adopt a restorative justice model um, for student discipline. It turned out, this is crazy, that um, we had a higher rate of suspensions and expulsions yep. from the Santa Rosa schools than Oakland or San Francisco or I think any other California town was what was the study amazing. showed. It was very high. Pretty amazing stat. Which I've never quite understood, you know, like, you've been cutting class we're going to forbid you to come to school as punishment. <laughs> right. uh, and, you know, it just doesn't work. And, and it leads often it's a pipeline to further trouble because you're out of this context of community and support and other adults around you and such. Mm-hmm. So they um, agreed to 
try a restorative justice program on a trial run, and it looks like that will continue. So it's really satisfying. You know, it's one thing to just talk about uh, making a difference, but to then see a policy change in your own city. And I'm so there now as far as um, where any given congregation should put its change hmm. energies. Hmm. Um, I mean, it's one thing to w- wish that all nuclear bombs would go away. Um, and you can write a whole bunch of letters and you'll never feel like you make a difference. Right. But when, you know, 50 of you show up uh, in matching T-shirts and tell the county supervisors, we need more affordable housing, and they realize, oh, that's a bunch of voters there, and then mm-hmm. they do something about it, that feels really good. All right. It's terrific. Give us a call sometime when, when you need some bodies. All right. Because we have a lot of people at Ner Shalom who are – um, very engaged politically, engaged uh, with social justice things, and we we um, we're always looking for ways to be able to do that also in a Jewish context. Um, we've been doing some trainings of late in um, compassionate listening mm-hmm. as a way to foster some dialogue uh, within the Jewish community on difficult issues, especially issues around Israel and Palestine, mm-hmm. which are so triggering that mm-hmm. that Jews cannot talk about it. Mm-hmm. Jews cannot talk about it, let alone talk about it with uh, anybody else. Um, and uh, uh, another program that I'm very proud of at Ner Shalom is called Celebrations. And this, it, it, we're in our, I don't know, ninth year now of this, pro- eighth, eighth year of this program. Uh, it's uh, a program for um, young people with special needs and their families to come in and do Jewish ritual together and learning together. And these are, uh, you know, these kids, uh, you know, are wonderful kids who are also um, usually pretty severely impacted. And and these families have had the experience earlier in their lives of going into synagogue and getting shushed until they were out mm. the door. Mm. And, uh, and <laughs> this space has been created as sort of a monthly program, but it's, it's very much affected the way we do business and everything at Ner Shalom. So we, uh, you know, we enjoy the joyful noise of people bringing kids with special needs, you know, who might in the middle mm-hmm. of ritual go running across the room mm-hmm. singing and, um, and the entire congregation smiles when that happens. And that's something that we're all really proud of. Um, and we do work in, in collaboration, and I wanted to mention a couple of collaborations going on right now. Uh, one is something in which we're also collaborating with, uh, with Chris, is uh, an interfaith dinner that had been going on for years at the Glazer Center and took a couple of years' hiatus and is reviving this year. It'll be held at Ner Shalom in Katadi on August 30th, um, and that's uh, a variety of Jewish Christian and Muslim congregations that come together mm. to do some real good um, time together, peace time, peace celebration together. So um, watch for information on that. That's coming up August 30th. Um, the other thing that uh, listeners might be interested in is that uh, Congregation Shomrei Torah, which is in Santa Rosa, is hosting a display of names pro- the Names Project quilt of uh, I think 72 panels mm-hmm. coming up on June 14th. It'll be all day long and uh, and open to the public and there will be a film showing and there will be opportunities to do art, um, to even do some some quilt panel making while you're there. And, um, and a number of people in the community, in the local community, have specifically requested that 
panels that were made for their loved ones or that they made for their loved ones will be included in this mm, display. Fantastic. So, so it's very locally connected and uh, and has an uh, its its base, its organizing base is interfaith. So, really um, want to put that out there for people to. To come and get reconnected because this is, you know, one of the things that I'm aware of a lot is the way in which life has gone on. (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, ACT UP San Francisco (laughs) is holding a a 25th anniversary event this June, actually the same day, (laughs) Um, because it's 25 years since, I don't know if you remember the ACT UP actions at the International AIDS Conference when it was in San Francisco for the first time. And... um, (laughs) And it's 25 years later, and mm-hmm. life has gone on, and uh, everything seems normal except for the, the missing people. And, um, and I think, you know, we've all grown a lot of scar tissue, and every once in a while it's, it, it, it's really important to get back in touch with the magnitude and the loss and, um, and where, we've been, where we've been brought to, where we've gotten to, um, and... Um, you know, and the, the, the people who are not here that helped us get there. Yeah, mm. it didn't come for free. Yeah, yeah. So I encourage people to come on uh, the 14th of June to Shomri Torah mm-hmm. for that. Nice. That sounds great. That sounds great. Um, so let's see. You're all segueing into our next questions. You're doing a very good job. Do we get to guess what the next question is? Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> what's... If you were a tree, what kind of... Exactly. <laughs> uh, actually, I failed to answer an earlier point, and I just wanted to okay, say, sure. which was, you asked like about what percentage I thought mm, might be. Oh. Um, and oh, yeah, uh, we thought you were awfully cagey about that. <laughs> well, I guess what I'm saying is I, I sort of wish I knew um, the an interesting byproduct of living in such an open community. Um, and we went through a process to be a welcoming congregation to make sure that, you know, kind of did the internal work mm-hmm. of being welcoming um, years and years ago. Um, right. And so a point sort of comes where you just kind of take things for granted. Um, and so, for example, we haven't really sustained a separate GLBT group within the congregation because the presumption is everyone's just doing their own thing and we're equal here and so forth. Right. And um, so I do worry occasionally that that that's not as wise as we might be, that there could still be – there's a place for bringing people together uh, and and helping them identify each other. So my guess is it's something like the general population. I think there's probably – I don't know. I, if I had I'd to guess, guess I'd bit, say – I'd guess a bit higher. Than you think? General, yeah. yeah. I would guess maybe 10, 10% of the congregation, well, the, 15%, something it, yeah. like LGBT, um, yeah. percentage of LGBT folks in Sonoma County is higher. Right. It's the well, – what were the, the most LGBT county in the – um, in the country, I, I think something the crazy. Second like most in uh, partnered. You know, they're sort of gleaning this from the last census. Right. It is very. You know, it is very tricky. Um, this is something that's been on our minds as well, right? Because we are a congregation that is so where you know the queer folks are so you know we're all we're part of the fabric, and when the congregation speaks as a we, mm-hmm. it's a very inclusive mm-hmm. we. And we recently attended a. Uh, there's an organization called Keshet, which does uh, helps co- helps synagogues do out- LGBT outreach, and so they got a grant to do some trainings for synagogues of Sonoma and Marin County. So it it felt like, well, you know, why do we need why do we need to you know we're there we've reached this place, but of course I didn't want us to be the only synagogue in the county not attending, so we went, 
and we ended up with an action plan. And it's it's very exciting. It's actually it's made us think of some things we hadn't thought of before. But the but it is true that you know in a place where people feel very integrated and feel very much empowered and enfranchised, sort of there's a way in which you have a risk in um, sort of identi- uh, sort of creating uh, stuff based around identity. You have a risk of actually othering people who had not felt othered. Um, to begin with, you know, it's like when, you, you know, all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden when you become the object of someone's outreach efforts. Right. Instead of uh, the subject of everyone's, you know, inclusivity. So anyway, it's, a, it's actually a really tricky thing about how, what, when have you arrived? When, you know, and from the outside, how do people know just how embracing mm-hmm. you are? And. You know, I mean, I think people commonly know that the UU is a really safe space oh, to sure. be. Well, we hang big rainbow flags over the front door mm-hmm. to make sure everybody knows it. <laughs> right, right, right. And, you know, I think people don't automatically think that any synagogue is mm-hmm. going to be a safe place to mm-hmm. be mm-hmm. if, uh, unless, uh, you know, unless you have a sticker on the door or a place like Ner Shalom, you, you go in and you look around. <laughs> um, but that is, but that is a question about where, what is, what is the goal? Where do we arrive to, and what is that kind of integration look like and feel like in real life? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, the Supreme Court's getting ready to make their big decision, right? What everybody is is going to say is is a landmark decision, and you know, there's a lot of activity going on in states to protect religious rights, particularly of the more conservative faiths. You know, what what do you think? Is there anything to to gain from that, really? more than we already have in the First Amendment with, re- with respect to protection of religious beliefs. In other words, I think there are, there are bills that are going out there, obviously, that are protecting individual, individual decision-making around whether they serve a gay couple because they don't believe or their faith doesn't believe in, in LGBT people. Um, the, the, the infamous wedding cake, you know, sort of scenario. The... Uh I think it's a straw man if I'm using my uh, logical error list correctly here <laughs> um, because any of those, as I understand it, it's already the case right. that there's all kinds of things that no one can make me do as a religious leader. Um, and there's all sorts of things I could, you know, refuse. I, I, I don't have to marry anybody I don't want to marry for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. I, and and that's already the case. So I'm suspicious of these, you know, religious freedom enactments that, uh, I mean, I'm sure the fear is real. You know, I mean, I really do try to understand, like, why do people take the positions they have? They are who they are. They're raised where they're raised. And they're afraid of that. But it's it's cultivated well, falsely. Yeah, it's not a fear, real the fear. The fear is real, but the mongering of it is strategic. Yeah, right? absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and that that's uh, in the Supreme Court arguments that that stuff about you know uh, whichever justice was asking. Well, will you know priests and ministers be they'll be required to you know no. You know, every every marriages in every religion are based on the tenets of of that religion. Right. Um, and that's always that's been the case, and that will continue to be the case in terms of the wedding cake. Make the damn wedding cake. You know, it's money. Fine, you don't make the wedding cake, everyone boycotts you. Okay, the market will take care of it. But Sorry. <laughs> I, I tend to agree. I mean, like, you let, Certainly. Let, yeah, let, let them fight it out. Um, right. I mean, it was sort of scary that the one 
I guess it was the pizza place got a whole bunch of oh yeah like a hundred thousand know, dollars uh, uh, <laughs> gift money so that to, you know keep them in business. Mm-hmm. Um, I, <laughs> right. I, I don't know how right. long you actually survive. Think as of the, the pizza parlor campaigns yeah. you could create. You know? <laughs> we're going to create an anti-gay pizzeria. Keep, keep, keep our pizza straight. <laughs> That's right. I love it. No sausage. <laughs> <laughs> So any other uh, Pride Month I mean, I meant that, I meant that oh. from a Jewish oh, perspective. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, I understood. <laughs> yeah, thank you. That's what I meant. Good. <laughs> any uh, other celebrations of Pride in the congregations? And everything going on? We're sending a or, crew to the parade. Uh, for nice. Sure. Yeah, we have. Right. Uh, uh, it happens to be at the very same time as a uh, worship service at mm-hmm. 11 o'clock. Well, right. Um, but I uh, excused anyone who wants to miss my <laughs> long and boring sermon that day uh, to he- head off to the Pride Parade. And so oh. we should have a, a good presence there with banners and stuff. Will, will they be able to see your sermon afterwards? Actually, I happen to not be preaching this Sunday. So ah, Very clever of you. Very clever of <laughs> yeah. you. So come to either. <laughs> There you go. Yeah. What about you, Rob? Uh, um, no, I'm not. I'm not going to be around. I oh. got. I got two kids graduating on Friday. I'm not going to be on the on the bema. I'm not going to be. Ah. no preaching. <laughs> but uh, but I imagine that uh, there are going to be lots of folks from Ne'er Shalom involved in all sorts of pride activities. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a pretty activist crew uh, among our membership, so they're gonna they're gonna be there even without their Ne'er Shalom t-shirts. <laughs> And you made a joke about your website, but oh right, right, right. See, I did not get asked back about my <laughs> website. The Nershalom website is nershalom.org. <laughs> That's n e r s h a l o m dot org, and uh, you can check out our calendar and come come visit us. Uh, the 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 shul you always wished that you had <laughs> can now be yours. Yeah, right on. Yeah, yeah. A new social faux pas. If someone asks about your website, you should always be kind enough to ask Jump on them about it. Right. Jump on it. And your Twitter handle? <laughs> I've not gone that far down the E stream yet. But really happy to wish everybody a, a delicious Pride Week. Absolutely. Weekend. Right. Lots of good activities. Certainly. Yeah, Certainly. Well, and we want to thank you both for being here. The hour flew by, and I think we could probably talk religion for many more hours to come. So... Rev. Irwin and Rev. Chris, thank you both for your time tonight. And don't forget the 2015 Sonoma County Pride Celebration takes place next weekend in Guerneville. I'll be there with Sheridan Gold and Diana Greer with coverage of the parade starting at 11 a.m. and the festival at the Guerneville Lodge 12, starting at 12 noon. And be sure to stop by the Outbeat Radio booth and join us for our Live at Pride radio show. We'll air that show next Sunday night at 8 p.m. and only here on KRCB Radio. In the meantime, have a great week, and thanks for spending your Sunday night with us. I heard there was a secret chord that David played, and it pleased the Lord. But you don't really care for music, do you? Well, it goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall and the major lift, the baffled king composing hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. hallelujah. 
Don't forget to download the KRCB mobile app and take your favorite radio shows like Outbeat Radio with you anywhere in the world with Internet access. It's free and available right now at the Apple and Android store. You're listening to KRCB-FM Windsor Santa Rosa Radio 91 online all the time at krcb.org. It's just before 9 p.m. Stay with us. Open Space District is next. Baby, I've been here before I've seen this room and I've walked this floor